Thank you for listening to this sermon by Grace Point Church. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at gracepointaz.com, or better yet, come be our guest on a Sunday morning. Good morning, Grace Point Church, and thank you for being here. If you'd please stand for the reading of God's Word. If you'd like to follow along with the reading and need a Bible, they can be found in the seat backs in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible at home, please take this one home with you. Or if you know somebody who needs a Bible, please take one and give it to them. For we'd love for you to have God's Word in your hands throughout the week. Today's scripture will be taken from the book of Luke, chapter 24, verses 1 through 9. And that can be found on page 884. Please follow along with me as I read. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Please pray with me. Jesus, thank you for this day. God, thank you for the hope and the joy that we have in you and that you've given to us, Jesus. I pray that Jason... We pray that you would be with Jason as he brings his message to us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This is our day. Yeah, yeah. This is the day that informs all other days. History literally pivots on this day. Your life, but hopefully your life, hopefully your life, like mine, pivots on the day that you believe that Jesus raised from the dead. Here's something that separates us from all other religions. Well, we're not truly a religion. We're a, a good news people. We're not a good advice people. We're a believe the good news people. Our Jesus is alive. This is not just a philosophical movement. We are a historical movement. We are not a group of people gathered together to celebrate ourselves, grit our teeth, and figure out how to be nice to people that we hate. We have been transformed from the inside out by the resurrected Jesus. We believe that Jesus really was born to a virgin named Mary, that he entered into human history, that he was like us, but not like us. He was like us and that he was fully man. He was not like us and that he was fully God and completely without sin. With his life, he fulfilled the 600 and something laws that God gave to Moses when he established the law. Jesus fulfilled all of them. That means that Jesus was a righteous man, not just a moral man, not a a, a bad guy doing good deeds. He was righteous. He was pure. He was holy. He was without spot. He was without blemish. With his life, he accomplished righteousness. We believe he lived. We believe that he died. Friday, Friday night, we gathered up here to remember what we did to Jesus. Today, we celebrate what Jesus did for us. With his death, he absorbed the wrath of God against sin. Not only was he betrayed by a friend, not only was he denied by friends, but God poured his wrath out on Jesus when Jesus cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What we believe is Jesus literally went through hell for all of Old Testament Israel and anyone in the New Testament church who would put their faith in not only his life, but also his death. That's where our forgiveness comes from. 
That means that when we forgive, there's a power source for our forgiveness. We are not making light of offenses. We are making much of the substitutionary atonement of Christ. We believe that three days later, Jesus raised from the dead, leaving in the tomb our guilt and our shame and coming out with our hope. We are a people who are not putting our hope in our kids going to bed on time, our president winning the election, the economy making gas prices lower. Our hope is in Jesus. Our king rules and reigns. He ascended into heaven. He sent Holy Spirit, and he promises that he will return and right everything that has gone wrong. He is our king, and we are his people, and we have gathered here today to remember that this is history, not just philosophy, but this is history. Look with me again in Luke chapter 24, verse 1. For biblical literacy, I want you to know this text. Also, there's some truths that we can pull out of this text together. Verse 1, on the first day of the week at early dawn, the first day of the week is Sunday, Why do Christians worship on Sunday when God's people forever worshiped on Saturday? Because when Jesus raised from the dead on a Sunday morning, it was kind of a big deal, okay? It was a big enough deal that God's people decided, we'll worship on that day. When the churches started, they said, we'll worship on Sunday. And it was at early dawn when the ladies went to the tomb. I wish so much, especially when I was a rural pastor back in Oklahoma, that the ladies would have waited till about nine in the morning. And here's why. Maybe some of y'all went to a sunrise service today and you're like, man, why are we doing this? It's because the girls went to the tomb real early in the morning. They should have waited a little bit. That's why. Anyways, I'm free in Christ. So I don't I was if you were at a sunrise service, I was probably getting out of bed. Okay, Uh, because, you know, grace anyways. But they went to the tomb and they were taking spices that they had prepared. The reason they were bringing spices is typically when a loved one would pass, you knew it was coming. They were sick and they would pass away. Then you would prepare the body for burial. You would have a service. But this didn't happen for Jesus. When, a, when a, Jesus was abruptly uh, arrested, abruptly put on trial, abruptly crucified, and then he was put in a borrowed tomb from Joseph of Arimathea. He let him, a wealthy man, open, said, hey, you can put him in there. And he just borrowed the tomb for a little bit, you know. But that's what they were going to do with the spices. They weren't going to have a meal. They were going to prepare his body and treat his body with the dignity that it deserved, the dignity that it, that it lacked in the crucifixion. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Now, this may be insignificant to you. You may not understand that. But the significance of the tomb, this was or a stone. This was a giant stone placed there by Roman soldiers. The reason for the stone was to keep Jesus' followers away from his body. The last thing that they wanted was the disciples to be able to sneak in and take the body away, which isn't what happened, by the way. It took all of these Roman soldiers to put the the stone there, and then the tomb was guarded by Roman soldiers. And if you tried to go up against a Roman soldier, it'd be like, you know, average Joe on the street taking on a UFC fighter. It's not a good idea, okay? Um, Plus, we know a little bit about Peter that he's not real good with a sword, okay? So they found the tomb, the stone rolled away from the tomb, and when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And they were perplexed about this. Imagine if you went to visit the grave on Memorial Day of a loved one, and everything's gone. There's just a hole in the ground. You would be what the Bible calls perplexed. So behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Now, fellas, when you read the word dazzling apparel, think less about Elton John. 
and think more about the glory of God radiating around these super soldiers called angels, okay? Hope that fixes it for you, all right? But that's what they see. They see the glory of God radiating around the angels of God sent to them to give this message. Verse 5, they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. Because when an angel shows up, that's what happens. You get frightened, you bow your face to the ground because you have come in contact with a holy creature. Angels are not unholy like we are. If you get in the presence of God, you'll recognize very fast. If you get in the presence of God's angels, you'll recognize very fast. You'll be able to find your sin. You'll feel your unworthiness to be in that presence. And that's what they felt. And the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Now, that's a literal question that the angels were asking them. Why are you at the grave? Jesus isn't here. This is a cemetery. This is for dead people. And Jesus isn't dead. And so I'm going to ask us this question because I think we approach this spiritually. I think spiritually we are prone to seek the living among the dead. We're prone to seek Jesus where dead things are. And the first thing I want to say on this Easter Sunday is this. Jesus is not among the dead. Jesus is not among the dead. We do this when we approach God or we approach ourselves or we approach our peace or approach our identity through what I would call dead religion. Now, I'm kind of hijacking a word a little bit because I know in the Bible it says true and undefiled religion is uh, visiting widows in their time of need and looking after orphans. I get that. Here's what I mean by religion. Religion in that you need to improve yourself to impress the God of your choice. You need to change to get the God of your choice to accept you. Or it could be yourself. You need to improve yourself so you could finally accept yourself. Or we'll flesh this out. There's three ways that we do this. There's three ways we do this. One is just mainline world of religions outside of Christianity. If you Googled, how do I find salvation through Islam? How do I find salvation through Mormonism? How do I find salvation through Hinduism? Some of them will say, well, there's a, there's a Christ figure or there's, there's grace, but also you need to improve yourself. You need to work your way into improvement. You need to earn a seat at the table of the God of your choice. Can you become a better person? Absolutely. If I was going to ask anybody to house sit for me, it'd be a Mormon, straight up. <laughs> if you're here today and you're Mormon, y'all are good people. You, you, you're nice people. I appreciate you, okay? I appreciate you. I'm going to get myself into trouble, aren't I? It's one of those days. Dead religion says change to get God to accept you. The second way that we do this is it may not be a, a world religion outside of Christianity. I don't know if you know this, but you can be a church person without being a Jesus person. For example, I think I led a lot of people and worshipped a lot with a lot of people that loved themselves but didn't love Jesus, but we were both in a church. I don't know if you've ever been that person or been around that. This is what I would call, not just me, I got this from somebody else, moralistic therapeutic deism, okay? Moralistic therapeutic deism. This would be whenever you worship inside of a church, but the object of your worship is really yourself. You've gathered together, you're singing the songs, you're serving on teams, you're doing the things, but what you're really still motivated by is guilt and not grace. And you're trying to finally make up for the wrongs you've done, or you're finally trying to accept yourself or impress someone or something, but you're using God to get something, if that makes sense. Moralistic, what does that mean? The, 
Currency is I went from bad to good. I'm working on my behavior. I'm trying to figure out how to be nice to people that I hate, okay? Moralistic. Therapeutic. I'm using philosophy to try to deal with my pains. I'm using life skills to try to deal with my pain. You're kind of approaching like that what is most wrong with you is your unhappiness, and maybe God can find a way to make you happy. Now, don't get me wrong. That's a great way that God will get to you is through your unhappiness. But eventually, the revelation is not just that you're unhappy, it's that you're unholy. And you need to be made holy by a holy God. And that's where salvation comes from. But not if you're in moralistic, therapeutic deism. Your salvation is, I was bad, I've made myself good through behavior modification, and I'm not using the gospel to transform my life, I'm kind of using these life skills to improve myself, and then deism is this idea that you do believe in a God, it's not that you're atheistic, you just don't actually worship him, you don't actually have a personal relationship with him. If someone asked you, do you believe in God, you would say yes, but you're about as spiritual as the podium that my Bible is resting upon right now. And if that's you, man, it ain't anything you can't repent of. And you might be here and you'd say, listen, you don't got me, player. I'm not not a Mormon, and I'm not a Baptist who don't love Jesus. I don't even believe in God. And I would say, all right. Then that's called humanism. And your place of worship might not be a temple. It might not be a church. It might be your gym. It might be Whole Foods. It might be the White House, where your politics rest. See, here's what we're all tempted to do. And this is where Jesus doesn't live, okay? Here's where dead things are. We take all of our relationships and we draw a line through all of them. And we separate people that we know or people that we don't know. And we separate to the left those who are wrong and to the right those who are right or to the left those who aren't like us and to the right those who are like us. So for example, you will be superior to the ones that you look down upon. And you may say, how could they vote like that? Right? Or you would say, they let their kids have Doritos. Do they even love their children? (laughs) To which I would say, have you tasted Doritos? (laughs) Some of you, you, you know, we do it. We all do this. Jesus is the one who will draw a line through all of humanity. And I don't know if you know this, but he will not separate us the right and the wrong, or the good and the bad, the successful and the unsuccessful, the parents who live by their kids' nap schedule or the kids who live by their parents' nap schedule. He won't separate, you know which team I'm for. He'll separate us to the left and right, and it will be the guilty and the innocent. There are good, guilty people. There are theologically sound, guilty people. And there are knucklehead, innocent people. Because our innocence came from the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And when we put our hope in him, we traded places with Jesus. He went to the cross and he went through hell so that you could have a seat at God's table and be his son and be his daughter, fully accepted and fully forgiven. See, the thing about religion, the lie about it is this. You can't improve yourself to impress God. We are not impressive because we are sinful. At best, we could become moral. At best, we could become smarter. But we can't remove our guilt without Jesus. God is impressed with Jesus. And when Jesus says, you're mine, and we say, yes, sir, I am, that makes us clean. Verse 6, the angels say, he's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you. I want you to grab a hold of that phrase. Remember how he told you. 
when he was still in Galilee. He said that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. This wasn't a secret. Jesus has been saying this. In fact, he said it to Peter, at which one point Peter says, No, you won't. We'll make sure that you don't go to the cross. And Jesus' reply to Peter is, Get thee behind me, Satan. Now, I've rolled with some pretty rough dudes. I've been a pretty rough dude a time or two, and nobody's ever called me Satan. Why did Jesus call Peter Satan? I don't think in that moment Peter became Satan. I think Peter's idea was satanic. And that's what religion does. It keeps Jesus off the cross. It keeps him from being in your place. You earn, you achieve, you work, you self-improve, you do all of these things to try to achieve your salvation. And it's a lie from hell. The good news is that Jesus in our place achieved so that we by faith can receive, and that's the gospel. Remember how he told you in verse 8, and they remembered his words. That's another powerful phrase. They remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. The second thing I want you to know today is that Jesus is a story to be told. Jesus is a story to be told. Sometimes we forget that Jesus is not an equation that we give to people. He's not just a worldview in which is a way to see the world. The problem with our friends is not that they don't have enough information and they need more information. They need good news. That's the story of Jesus. The gospel is not good advice. Man, when I was in junior high, maybe a little younger, y'all remember the bracelet? And you might be wearing one. And if you do, this is a safe place. It's fine. It's all right. But it said, what would Jesus do? You remember how every time you were up against a moral crisis, you're supposed to look at your wrist? All I would do is be like, God, I'm so bad. I just felt like, what would he do? He wouldn't do any of the things that I'm doing. He wouldn't live in this house. He wouldn't be in this sky. You know, like it was just demoralizing to me. But the gospel is not what would Jesus do. That's good advice. Jesus, as our um, example is crushing if Jesus is not first your provider. Yes, I want you to look to Jesus. When you look to Jesus, you should go, oh, yeah, I'm not like that. Yeah, I hate people. I've been dishonest. I've deceived. I've slept with people that that was not appropriate. I have not been faithful. In fact, I've been faithless. And Jesus is faithful. Jesus is fruitful. Jesus is obedient to his father. Jesus is meek, which means he's power under control. He's not a pacifist. He knows when to flip a table. He'll get her done. He's our example. <coughs> but if the, if the good, good advice will not transform you, it'll just make you lie about yourself. Yeah, I flip tables too. I've never done anything weird in front of people, you know. It just makes all your sinning stay in the dark. But the good news is not what would Jesus do. The good news is what has Jesus done? He's first our provider. He literally traded places with us at the cross. He's declared us innocent, even though we're guilty when we put our faith in him and his work, when we are not the achievers, but we become the receivers of his achievement. The gospel in its essence is good news to believe. It's kind of like getting a joke. I'm gonna, I don't have time for this, but I'm going to go there, okay? My daughter came to me the other day, and she said, Dad, I know what I want to do with my life. 
I'm not making any of this up. My wife is here. You can fact check all of this. Sometimes after a sermon, she'll be like, you know, it wasn't exactly like that. I'm like, hey, I'm preaching here, okay? But this is fact for fact. You can ask her. Brindley comes to me. She's 10 years old, and she says, Daddy, I want to be a comedian. And I'm like, well, I'm all about connecting with the kids, correcting the kids, cultivating the kids. If they're good at something, I want to fund it, all right? So I said, so tell me a joke. And for whatever reason, all of her jokes are about animals, most of them. And she goes, Daddy, what do you call a couple of monkeys, they're buddies, and they share an Amazon account. And I'm like, I have no idea. She says, primates. <laughs> Some of y'all are not connected to the known world and you won't get that. And someone will have to explain it to you later. But I was like, okay, all right. So I did what any good dad would do, and I started exposing her to some comedians that I could. One of them is Mitch Hedberg. I don't know if you've ever heard of Mitch Hedberg, but in his prime, he's the funniest guy that ever lived. Maybe. You might not get it. Mitch Hedberg tells jokes like, I'm really into cottage cheese. I want to pursue other dwelling cheeses as well. I can't wait to try... Mobile home cheese. See, some of you think that's awesome. Some of you are like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in a sermon, let alone an Easter sermon. What is that guy even doing? So I showed it to Brinley, and she's having a riot in the recliner. Like, I think she's going to pee all over herself. She's laughing so hard. I show it to my oldest, Kaylee, and her boyfriend, and they're like, I do not get it. Can I have the remote? <laughs> All that to say, it's kind of like a joke. Some people laugh and some people don't. When good news is told, some people believe it and some people think that's too good to be true. That's how the gospel works. It's a story to be told. It's not like you need the information. You need the information. You're wrong. Let me hit you over the head. It's I said it. Now, what did it do to your heart? Did it work its way in there? If not, keep saying it. We're going to keep saying it. I'm going to preach it to you till Jesus comes back. So the gospel is good news, not good advice. It doesn't work through behaving. It works through believing. And the gospel is most powerful when it is proclaimed. We can demonstrate the gospel all day long, do good deeds for people. But if we don't ever say, hey, I'm doing this because Jesus changed my life. And that's why I'm doing this. The gospel isn't most powerful. The reason we're not doing a passion play today is because that moves Christians. And you might get saved at a passion play. You might have watched the only rated R movie of your life was The Passion of the Christ and you got saved after you watched it. Maybe so. But the way God rigged the world was the gospel is a word of mouth movement. It's proclaimed and it will either be believed and received or rejected. All right. So we need to remember this. That's what we're called to do. They remembered what Jesus told them, and then they shared what they had experienced. That's how it works for us. That means that every one of us should have a personal relationship with Jesus, but nobody has a private relationship with Jesus. It doesn't exist. If your relationship with Jesus is just private, you either need to repent and go public, or you don't truly have a relationship with Jesus. You have a hobby, okay? That means a lot of your conversations should go like this. I am a Christian. Do you want to be a Christian? People will say yes or no, or maybe. They may ask, what does that mean? A lot of people think that that means you're saying, I'm a very good person. And you know, as a Christian, it's the last thing it means. Because in religion, the first thing you have to do is step up. In Christianity, the first thing you have to do is go, oh, I suck. Like, I'm, I'm not good. 
I'm a bad person. I, I've lied. I've cheated. I have committed cosmic treason. I have broke the commandments of God. And he saved me. You want in. I want you to know that the power is not in the presenter. The power is not in the presentation. The power is that the truth is real. The gospel is real. Let me give you an example. And I know I led this guy to the Lord, but I want you to see it was unwinsome. It was unwitty. I was tired. I'd already preached a sermon or so that day. I had done some counseling with this couple. And I was just, can I be honest? I was ready to go to the house, okay? But I was in my house. So I guess I was ready for them to leave my house, all right? So um, it was kind of like this. They came to me and they said, hey, we have good news. I said, what is it? They said, we want to get married. It's like, well, that's fantastic. His name was Richard. I said, Richard, tell me a little about yourself. Well, I'm an atheist. Like, oh, okay. All right. Katie was her name. I was like, Katie, you're not an atheist. This is interesting. And, she, and they said, will you do the wedding? And I said, uh-uh, I ain't going to do it. I said, well, why not? I said, well, if you were both atheists, I think I might do it. But if you're both Christians, I know I would do it, but I'll make you a deal. I'll have dinner with you all the time. I'll counsel you. We'll talk about it as much as y'all want to. But until he becomes a Christian or you prove you ain't one, we're at an impasse. And so we started to meet and talking to him a little bit. And I said, Richard, I just don't understand. You're a bright person. And, and his deal was he's more agnostic. Just God, give me a sign. And I guess this was his sign. Listen to this. This is not amazing. This is not eloquent. I will not write a book about this experience. But I said, Richard, the chair you're sitting in in my house, did somebody make that chair? He's like, yeah. And some of y'all know where I'm going. I was like, you see the TV that's on over there that I'm trying to watch, but we're having, you know, talking? <laughs> somebody made that thing. Me and some friends had exploding targets. I don't even know if this is legal, and I don't even know if we, can, if we should edit this out of the sermon because I don't know if I'm incriminating myself. But we would go to the river bottom of southwest Oklahoma and blow stuff up to the glory of God. We would shoot rifles into targets, and old dishwashers would go away. Okay, And I told Richard, I never walked over there from that explosion and was like, sea turtle. Or over here, a new civilization. I said, Richard, I just don't get it. Just logically, if you reverse engineer the universe at its rate of expansion, reverse it to its rate of whatever the opposite of that is. I went to public school. I'm from Oklahoma. <laughs> the answer would be there's a beginning that we all agree on. But the History Channel goes, aliens can't be God. Like, I, okay, whatever. Never mind. We don't have time. But it was funny. Anyways, I said, Richard, I just believe that that was God. You reverse engineer it all back. It's not chance. There's a creator. There's blueprints. It's God. And he goes, me too. I believe. And I was like, are you playing me? You better not be playing me just to get this wedding done. And to this day, he lives declaring that Jesus is the Lord of his life. It, yeah, you clap. It's not for me. It ain't, I didn't do... I was just trying to get through the day, but I want you to know it's just like that. You don't have to stand up and you know, exegete a text and this and that. You need to know the gospel and share it. And it's powerful because it's true. It's not powerful because you're funny. It's not powerful because you, got, you dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's just right. It's powerful because you just point to Jesus and Jesus saves people. Okay, Verse 10. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of Jesus and the other women who 
other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Now, a couple things are fascinating to me about this section. Number one is <clears throat> I love the book of Luke because Luke was not one of the 12 disciples. In fact, Jesus is down to 11 now because Judas is out of the picture. And the ladies are the ones who discover the empty tomb and go tell the fellas, and at least 10 of the fellas don't believe, and Peter seems to believe. Now, what's fascinating is Luke wasn't there, but Luke gets eyewitness accounts. Luke is a doctor, which means he's educated. He's not just making stuff up. He's hired by a guy by the name of Theophilus who invested in this documentary, and Luke's task was to go interview people and document the life and ministry of Jesus, and then he travels with the Apostle Paul, and he documents the Acts of the Apostles, the work of the Holy Spirit through Acts chapters 1 through 28, and we're living out the 29th today, you know? That's, that's what was happening. So Luke goes and interviews people, and they tell him about the ladies. If you were trying to prove the, that your movement was real, what you would not say is 2,000 years ago, the ladies went and found the empty tomb. Because if they had to go to court, that would be inadmissible because 2,000 years ago, we have made some progress. The ladies' uh, testimony would be thrown out of court because they couldn't testify in court. They didn't have that right. Why would you say that if it wasn't true? There's no way these fellows, there's no way the ladies went in there and, you know, Jason borned those Roman soldiers, you know. The angels rolled, rolled away the tomb. Jesus was gone. This is what happened. They tell the fellas. The fellas think, y'all are full of it. And Peter gets up and runs in and marvels. And here's the thing about the good news of Jesus. He's a story to be told. And Jesus will be accepted or rejected. You can't just embrace the idea. You'll either worship him or worship something else. We're all worshipers. Christians are people who are worshiping Jesus, and that's working its way out through theology. It's working its way out through our morality and our obedience to Jesus. It's working our way out in the way that we relate to others and confess our sin and forgive our sins. But the root of all of those things is we are worshiping Jesus. We are bending our life around, wrapping our life around the person of Jesus, the work of Jesus, and the words of Jesus. And there's two things that stand in the way, and there's two things that unleash this belief. Number one, the thing that stands in the way is the same thing that causes someone to become a Christian, and it's sin. It's sin. And when I say sin, I don't just mean like cultural sins or saying something that people don't like. I mean breaking the commandments of God, okay? Don't cheat. Don't lie. Don't sleep with someone you're not married to, okay? Those things. Sin. People accept Jesus because they are grieved by their sin, you have moved from thinking unhappiness is the root problem of your life, and you've realized unholiness is the root problem of your life. When you heard the gospel, your heart came alive like the funniness of a Mitch Hedberg joke. Maybe not so, quite so, but I'm preaching, so that's what I said. Your heart came alive, and you see your sin, and you are most grieved, not by the sins of others, but by your own sins. And you see the beauty of Jesus as your Savior. But if you're not a Christian, people reject Jesus because they love their sin. See, sometimes we think people don't know about Jesus. If they knew about Jesus, they would change. That's partly true. That's partly true. But it reminds me of a sermon titled Ten Shekels in a Shirt, and I believe it was preached by Paris Reedhead. 
And if you want to go back and hear some old, old school preaching, I think that's on YouTube. The guy talks funny and everything. It's like way back in the day, okay? That's how people preached. But his big point in that sermon was this. He, he felt called by God to be a missionary. He went overseas. He went deep into an unknown place and got to live and dwell around a tribe of people thinking he's bringing Jesus to them. He thinks they're ignorant, like literally, in, that, in the true sense of the word. They're ignorant, and they need to be educated about Christ, and that'll change them. He got there. He tried to earn the right to share the gospel, and he started sharing the gospel, and he realized they're familiar with this. They're familiar with this idea of a creator and familiar with this idea of a savior, and they rejected the gospel not because they didn't know better, but because they loved their sin. And they would say, but if we believe that, we have to change. And we don't want to change. And that's some of you, you're going like, yeah, man, I'm not, I'm not mad at you. You all believe what you want to believe, but I'm not giving up the way I want to live my life. You have someone, it might be you or something that sits on the throne of your heart. And until you dethrone that sucker and let Jesus rule and reign, you're not saved. You're just not. Sin will stand in the way. The good news is it ain't anything you can't repent of. And today is a good day to repent. And be welcomed into the family of God. So sin is standing in the way. And the good news is Jesus saves sinners every day. The second thing standing in the way is faith. Faith. Even the own disciples, it was too good to be true in the moment. Okay, wasn't too good to be true when Jesus fed them breakfast and showed the wounds and was like, hey, fellas, what's up? Then they all believed, you know. People accept Jesus because they believe the good news. The entrance into Christianity is not behavior, it's believing the true things of Christ. Behavior comes later when your heart is changed and you're motivated by grace. People accept Jesus because they believe the good news, but people reject Jesus because it sounds too good to be true. Maybe that's where some of you are at today. You're here for lunch later, or you have other plans or whatever it is, but here's where you're at. Maybe you're aware of my friend was at a few years ago. We had a community group in our house. We had some friends over, and my buddy was there who is a believer, and his wife was there with him, and she's at the time wasn't a believer. If she is today, I, I don't know, but at the time she wasn't. And she ain't mad about it. She loves the church, and we have work days at the church. She's up here working. It's great. We're, we love her. And she would just say, I just don't believe like y'all believe. And we were gathered together. We were praying for each other, and she said, hey, I want to ask you guys to do something. Would y'all, would y'all pray for my son? And then she said, now, I want to preface this with saying, I don't believe any of this. But something happens when y'all pray for my son. And in that moment, I realized she she doesn't believe yet, but she wishes this were true. She wishes it were true. And man, that's what I want from you right now. If you don't yet believe, man, don't you just wish it were true? Don't you wish that the worst day of your life, that thing that happened to you, the words that were said or the assault that happened or the neglect that happened to you, the abandonment by someone who loved you, the betrayal you experienced by someone you trusted, don't you wish there was a way that you could live a day without thinking that you deserved that or you have less human dignity than the other people who that's never happened to? Don't you just wish it were true that you could have a motivator other than shame? And don't you wish it were true that as you think about the worst day of your life, it's not something that happened to you. It's something that you have done to someone else. You said something you want to take back so bad. You crossed a boundary. 
You had sex with someone you shouldn't. You lied about something you shouldn't have. You ta- you'd taken something that didn't belong to you. Whatever it is, you live every day motivated by guilt. And guilt is powerful. You started your business because of guilt. You started your family because of guilt. You, the good you do, the things you're doing, you're still haunted by the ghosts of your past. And don't you wish it could be true that you could live a day without being haunted by what you have done and what you have said? The good news is it's true. Your shame is removed. We call it expiation. Jesus has driven it far from you. He goes back to that 12-year-old boy. He goes back to that 8-year-old girl, and he rescues you from shame, and he takes it far away from you and puts it on himself. Jesus goes back to that day. And those things that you've said, the things you've done, and he became your sin. God does not look at you and go, okay, man, I'll be cool. He looks at you and says, this put Christ on the cross. But its wrath has been absorbed through Jesus. You've paid in full. You're innocent, not by merit, but by grace. It's true. Grace motivates. You will no longer be the things that you have done, and you will no longer be the things that have happened to you. You'll be free because of Jesus. The power in the prayer is the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Y'all, I'm a Christian. I wouldn't be here if I wasn't. I don't think I'd still be married if Jesus wasn't alive. I would have received and given a lot more throat punches if Jesus wasn't alive. He will transform your heart from the inside out. You will love in a way you've never loved You will be loved in a way you've never been loved. So do you want to be a Christian? Do you want in? If you're not, if you're out, do you want in? Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What does it mean to be saved? Saved from hell, from eternal wrath and fury of a God who must dole out justice to those who deserve it but you will be saved from that and get grace in its place. And God moves from judge to father, and he's a good dad who gives good gifts to his kids. Save from hell. Save to the church. You get a family. Maybe you've never had a family. Maybe you've never had friends. Maybe you live your life in a room full of people but feel completely alone. He saves you to his people. You have a history. You have a heritage. You rest in the promises that God gave Abraham that roll out all the way to the church today. And he saved you for the mission. He saved you to remember the things that Jesus said, the things that Jesus did. And he saved you to tell others what he's done in your life. For with the heart one believes and is justified, that means you're made just as if you'd never sinned. He makes you innocent by a declaration. The voice of God that spoke the world into existence from nothing declares you innocent. If he told the sun and the moon and the stars and the planets where to orbit, he can can declare you innocent. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For 2,000 years, it's looked like this. Believe the gospel that Jesus lived in your place, died in your place, and raised from the dead. And from the root of that belief in your heart, tell him, I'm wrong and I'm sorry Will you show me how to live? Let's bow our heads, and you can pray that prayer. You will be saved.